Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. So, you take it from the Leicester point of view at this mm. point, and you're Brendan Rodgers, and all right, maybe your team spent a little bit at this point, mm. but this, we thought this was maybe a must-win situation, at least take that mental approach before Southampton yeah. was down to 10 men. Yeah, so if you've gone 80 minutes in a game and, uh, against a team of man down, and you're in the form Leicester in, and Southampton one winning six at home, you're kind of thinking this is three points and, you know, to cement our position. So, there's going to be disappointment. Mitigating factors, and, and we looked at uh, the team that played on Monday. It was the same team that played today. Tired legs. So you've got two or three days between that. And I just want to sometimes, Dan, Daniel Noah, sometimes tired legs comes tired minds. And the, the place that it shows is in the attacking areas of the pitch, where you're not quite as sporky. You're not playing your one-twos. You're not quite igniting things as you normally would. And I thought we saw a little bit of that in Leicester today, where it just didn't quite happen for them at the top end of the pitch. I think... As bizarre as it may sound, I think Leicester win that game if it's against 11 men. <laughs> because Southampton, you know, people say, well, what about when Manchester United beat them 9-0? It was 0-0 when they went down to 10 mm -hmm. men. They've learned from that. And what they did, what, what Leicester City are so good at doing, in particular away from home, because they've got one of the best away records, they're very good at turning defence into attack very quickly. They weren't able to do that today because Southampton sat deep. They'd learned from what had happened to them at Old Trafford. They sat with... A really deep back four. The midfield was deep next to them and they just had Sheridan's up front and it was very difficult for them to break through. And I look at their next game. The Newcastle game for me is a key one because the home form's not been brilliant and Newcastle, they, they mm. can be very stubborn. That's going to be a tough game. I think United and Chelsea could take care of itself, but the Newcastle game for me is huge. Should it be some nerves? I mean, they know what happened last um, season. They're in a much is, better this, position, clearly, this, this season. This becomes a late. test. Of the, we were talking at the start of the show about this club, about these players, about this manager. It's a little test. It's given the likes of West Ham and Liverpool a little look back in and maybe they'll feel with wins they can go. But now we, we find out a little bit about Leicester. Remember that, you know, the drop-off last season. I don't think it will happen this year. Was down to the Newcastle games and then they've got to go away to big, big teams and get results. And they're, they're well capable of doing that. They've got to recoup. They've got to take the point. They've got to move on. They can't afford to linger on disappointments now. I, I think as well, when, when we go back to this stage last season with the project restart, I think people talk about, you know, it, it just fell away for, for them. I think what people also forget is that they had key injuries at that stage of the season that really affected them. Whereas now, yes, they've got Justin out and yes, they've got Barnes out, but the majority of the team are fit and available, I think they'll be okay. You talk about tired legs, mm -hmm. tired minds, mm -hmm. perhaps not as crisp, not as clinical. So today they had one goal from 22 shots. You go back to this fixture last year and that 9-0 defeat, they had nine goals from 25 shots. <laughs> Fairly sharp in that affair. Efficient. Another mm -hmm. yeah, similar situation where Southampton went down to 10 men. Robbie Musto, that, as we say, is just Manchester City in a nutshell. First half wasn't too much in it. City were a little frustrated, but yeah. they always just seemed to be so patient. Job done in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it really was. And uh, maybe the argument for having centre forwards and strikers, <laughs> we talked about it before and at half time. They linked up a few times in the second half. The quality came through. And just a follow on from the man of the match, Sergio Aguero, we were mm. talking about it. Mm. Not just the finish, which was superb, but his general play. I mean, he Good looked finish. fit. Yeah. We, I watched him in the 81st minute. He was making runs in behind. He looks fresh. We see him walking off there. He looks in great shape. Like other Premier League sides could tempt him. Chelsea. I mean, I mean, there's a look at look at the way that Chelsea play. Look at the, the the chances they make. Timo Werner's having a tough time of things. I mean, if you need a centre forward who you know can score goals in this league, yeah, he might not play every every week, but he's got rotations. If, if, I, if I had any chance of signing to Joe Aguero, I'd get it done. But it's short-term, though, isn't it, if Chelsea went for him? because he's in It might get 30s. you over a period of a year with an option, let's see, if, if he's still driven, if he still wants to score goals. He, he's still... I'm telling you, there's not many people who can, who can finish like that, Rebecca. He's just a natural born goal scorer. Sergio Aguero scored the opening goal today. He has now just five more matches left in a Manchester City shirt. Let's hear from him. Sergio, congratulations. It must feel great to put one hand on another Premier League trophy for Manchester City. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
finally I to play. So I'm so happy because long time uh, no play in, uh, 90 minutes. So nah, the goal is is good because uh, uh, maybe we can go win the the Premier League. No, I wait tomorrow. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And you seem determined to finish your time at City in style. We could see that today. It was a brilliant finish. The goal. Yeah. Uh, always many uh, try to to pass to me so the only one is uh, in the, inside the box uh, I need to one touch or two touch uh, so, so that so it's my my show so uh, finally it's uh, it's goal I'm so happy for, for that so I continue the same way no? so will you be watching tomorrow Liverpool Manchester United you watching the game uh, I don't know <laughs> um I will see tomorrow. So, uh, all is, uh, uh, every game is difficult, but uh, we wait uh, tomorrow. So, uh, of course, if uh, if my <laughs> if uh, Liverpool win, it's better, no? Of course, of course. All the parties that they have to wait. Are you ready for the for the call midweek in the Champions League if Pep wants you? Yeah, always I'm ready. So. Uh, for that, I say before, I, I finally had to play. So I'm feeling good. My knee is so good. So just uh, nothing. Uh, way to, to to the opportunity to play like like today. So I hope to Tuesday. Uh, if if no play, doesn't matter. Just I I'm, I I will to be with the, with the teammates. Just uh, of course every player want to play, no? But I don't know. I will. We see Tuesday. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And I hear they're making a statue of you at, at Manchester City. You're going to be a statue of you and Vincent Company and David Silva. Have you seen it yet? Do you know what it's going to be like? Yeah, well, uh, the club, when when told to me about that, uh, I tell them that I don't want nothing because, uh, <laughs> honestly, so I prefer to, to, to wait until the end because always I say... Uh, three, four years ago, yeah. I said it's not my decide, it's decide the club. So the only way is to to play until the end. It's my job, and then uh, the club, if you want to do something, okay, thank you. You're doing a great job. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, Brighton still have to play Wolves, West Ham, Manchester City and Arsenal, but they should really be safe. How yeah. impressive an achievement to remain in the Premier League for a fifth season. That was an impressive performance, Rebecca. Let's remember they come off a 1-0 loss to Sheffield United last week. There's a little bit of pressure on. They're next to the line of relegation. But one thing I always think with Brighton, as I was doing a bit of notes before, you're thinking, they play such good football, that must give you a bit of confidence. Now, if they can get the finishes to go with the football, they'll be OK. And the finishes came today, and that, that was the difference. Two good finishes, great one from Danny, Danny Welbeck. And it was one of those games where, if it was going to get end-to-end and quick, Leeds were going to win. But their football controls the game, and then they got the finishes, and in the end, they, they were pretty comfortable against a Leeds team that were a little pale today, weren't their, their normal selves. We know that Brighton's overarching desire is to become a top-ten team at some point. Yeah. What is Graham Potter's biggest priority this summer now? Uh, to, to find a way to be more ruthless in attack. And I say that because not necessarily to go out and buy a striker. They've got, they have got some strikers there, and we can kind of poke them a little bit and say they should be doing a little bit more, which maybe they should. But just to be a bit more ruthless, there was a, the first 15, 20 minutes, Rob, we were going to do a little breakdown on, because over the last few weeks, Brighton have been very tippy-tappy, not enough kind of shots. I thought there was a, a, a noticeable edge in shooting. Lots of shots. They were blocked early on. A Trossard shot early was saved. I think it was on, a shot on target. That's what they've got to focus on. And the second goal, of course, is, is crucial. They haven't been getting those. Mm. They've been a little bit worried and scared at 1-0 and drawing lots of games. That's better. And now, Graham Potter, show everybody now Fresh for next shot, season, yeah. like, how good you are. Because we kind of think he's a really special coach. But you said before that they were like a couple of points off of last season's total as well. Come on, then. Next season's a big season for, for Graham Potter. If he wants to potentially progress and move to the next level. Your eyes tell you when you see what he does yeah, and how his good. team play that yeah. there's a real opportunity, real potential there. Graham Potter has a six-year contract, so he is in it for the long haul. And Brighton are back in the Premier League next season for a fifth straight campaign, unheard of in their Premier League history. Kai, well done. Two goals for you. How important are three points? Is it one for Chelsea? Yeah, I think very important. Uh, I think... 
yeah, we have to come in the top four. That's our goal for the season, 100%. And I think this win uh, today is crucial, crucial for us. And um, yeah, now on Wednesday, another tough game. But of course, we're very happy about the win. You looked very confident with both your finishes. How cool did you feel going through on the goalkeeper? Yeah, to be honest, uh, it felt good to score um, very early the goal. So it gave me a, a little bit of confidence, uh, confidence. But yeah, of course, for me, it's always good to score. And um, I'm very happy to have the team with the goals. And um, I hope uh, I can continue Wednesday like, like this. Did, it owe, did both goals owe a lot to the quality of your teammates? Great touch and pass from Mason for the first goal. Lovely bit of quality from Timo for the second. Yeah, of course, I said that before. Uh, said that before, uh, that before. We have um, a lot of uh, quality players in our team, and for us, it's easy, you know, uh, to create chances. Um, and I think uh, that's the, that's the aim for the strikers to score goals. And when you have like midf midfielders like this behind your back, it's always good. So, um, of course, I know I've good teammates, and I'm very lucky that they helped me today like this. You said already another big game on Wednesday. How are you finding that schedule at the moment of big game, big game? Every game is tough. Every game is important. Yeah, it's, to be honest, very hard. You know, uh, you have to concentrate every three days on another game and another competition, and uh, it's hard. You know, it's the end of the season. We almost play, played nine months now already. Um, and it's hard, you know, you come home, you have uh, two or three days to regenerate and on Wednesday you play again. You know, it's good to have now three days um, for, for the, for the uh, three days in between the next game. Um, last week I think it was more tough, but of course very hard, but that's the reason why we are uh, professionals and uh, we have to be professional like this now. Is it a completely new experience for you, this number of tough games in such a short space of time? Yeah, I, I played, um, you know, in some Europe leagues uh, in the last few years as well, and with Leverkusen. But I think here, you know, you have I think two more teams in the league. You have uh, one cup more than uh, I think in the last couple of years. The the quarter or after the group stages in the in the Champions League was uh, finished for us. Then a Europe League, uh, maybe quarter final. Now you come into the semi-final, you have uh, some more games, it's hard, but I think we are very happy to, to play in these competitions and uh, yeah, it makes fun. You've certainly given the manager something to think about with your goals this evening. How desperate are you to start that game against Madrid on Wednesday? Yeah, I'm always desperate to start games. Um, you know, um, I play football to play games, um, but I'm, I know of course we have a lot of quality players in the team. Um, sometimes. Uh, it is like that, um, that that other players play as well. And to be honest, uh, the other players did um, in the last few matches very good. So, you know, I, I keep on going. I train hard. I give my best when I'm on the pitch. And, um, yeah, I'm always happy to help the team. And then we will see you on Wednesday. Okay. Thanks for your time. Well no played. Problem. Well Thank done, you. mate. Well, it is the perfect result, you have to say. Sandwiched in between mm. those Champions League semi-finals. Big sigh of relief from everybody that that is now done. And all the focus now can be on Wednesday. Let's take you back to Graham and Arlo. Indeed, Rebecca. And I know you're excited by this Chelsea side because one of the big debates this week will be does Pulisic come back in, scored uh, in the first leg against Real Madrid, or does Kai Havertz keep his place, or is there something else that Thomas Tuchel can do? <laughs> you are excited by this team. Why? Yeah, very excited by them. And I think that they're, they're a team that has hit fantastic form at the perfect time and they look secure all over the pitch. I mean, that last 20 minutes was awful to be honest, but, but uh, that wasn't just the commentary. <laughs> but they, they were, you know, it was the game lost its rhythm, but they still had the basics right. They still look solid defensively, no problems at all. And the creative players are all starting to find some form. As you say, the two goals that he scored today, mm. that gives Thomas Tuchel another problem. Werner playing well, despite not scoring. Mason Mount in sensational form. So I think all over the pitch, you, you've got to be excited about this team and the momentum they're getting at the key part of the season. So what will they achieve between now and the end of the season? Get the crystal ball out. <clears throat> well, I think cup, cup final against Leicester. Um, you know, they've got to go into that game as favourite. And if they get to the final, I think, you know, they've already beaten Manchester City once in a semi. Mm. I, think, I think they could go on and, and, and win it as well. Well, exciting times for Chelsea fans, Rebecca. Not so much for Fulham fans. Nine points from safety. The trapdoor beckons for them, sadly. Uh, whether they stick with Scott Parker mm. or not, we'll have to wait and see. But maybe they give it a go to come back at the first to 10, but Chelsea's day-to-day. Arlo Graham, thank you very much. There were even rumours this past week that Tottenham were sniffing around Scott Parker, possibly mm -hmm. as, a, as the next Tottenham manager, because they don't have one right now. Interesting about 
what excites Graham about this team. What excites you? Yeah, well, the same kind of thing. I mean, you have to be excited when you know the potential of the players that they've bought, and a lot of them are younger. Kai Havertz is 21 years old. 21. And he's had a slow start to his Chelsea career. I think he'd, he'd admit that. But you are seeing, you, know, you are seeing the talent that he's got and the finishing ability that he's got and the cleverness that he plays with at times. It's just going to, you know, how much can gel in next season? Because it does get you excited about what sort of title challenge they can provide. Given the manager, given the defensive stability that it's got now, it's just those front players and how they link together and who becomes the main scorer is going to get 20 goals. That's what they need. A lot of attention get, gets on what Chelsea buy and the, the amount of, of money they spend. There was a kid in midfield today, Mason Mount, who didn't cost him a penny. The development of this young player, Rebecca, over this course of Thomas Tuchel has been fantastic. He has now become the most important player at Chelsea Football Club for me. Um, he got a knock. He went down with a knock and we were both yeah. sitting we were. on the side saying, get him off, you know, protect him. He's that important. And he was one of those, I think, when Tuchel come in, that people thought, well, he was Frank's boy, but I'm not sure if he's going to be able to, to sustain that. He's gone to another level. And the other big thing that Chelsea have, I think what Graham was talking about, is clean sheets. You know, I think it's 11 clean sheets under Tuchel now in 15 Premier League games. So even when the football isn't going well, they're not conceding many goals. Fulham gone. Yeah, sadly, yeah. And it just reiterates for me how hard the jump is from the Championship, Rebecca. They've spent money, they've shuffled the team around, they've got a good, bright young manager and still, you know, find it difficult mm -hmm. to compete at this level. Looks like two teams, West Brom again, two teams in the Championship, they come up and find it very, very difficult. Leeds have been incredible, but it's a big jump from Championship to Premier League. Two wins in the first 22 Premier League games of Fulham has absolutely given no chance. I mean, there's been development, there's been improvement... But just, you don't get a good start in this league, I'm afraid. It puts you really behind. Yeah, they've run out of time, haven't they? Fulham looking like they're heading down. Jordan, a frustrating night for you? Yeah, um, yeah, it was unfortunate. Um, getting beat at home, you know, again. And uh, played well, it was just a good finish from the lad. And um, But we need to iron out them little things. And as a group, we just keep going and keep going. We've got five games now five or six games and we just need to keep going and win. just try and win every game we play and, uh, but yeah, frustrating is for all What is it about the home form? I don't know you know, it's disappointing you know um, we, we work hard all week and come in in the games and I don't know, we, we've won a lot of games away from home you know, this season as well so it, the, the fans is probably going to play a, a, a big part in it but it's down to us to graft and work hard and constant and give it our all and we do you know it just sometimes it doesn't pay off you yourself had a busy night especially in the first half yeah it's what I'm there to do you know and try and keep the ball out the net um, and just be there for the team and um, but no I'm in a good place I'm, I'm working hard with Kells on the training pitch every day and that, that's all I can do and try and put performance in for the lads come match day well it helps to put in a performance like that when Gareth Southgate's watching in the stands yeah, um, yeah, England manager was there tonight, but it's about just focusing on the job in hand and me just working hard and um, doing all I can, really. You know, I, I like to give 100% every game I play in and hopefully that, that gets results for the lads and keep clean sheets, but it wasn't to be tonight. And what do you think of your form going into a European Championship that you're very likely to be in that squad and yeah. maybe Gareth Southgate's first choice? Yeah, you know, um, I've had a little injury this season, which is never nice, but for me form, mentally I'm in a very good place and I'm working hard on and off the pitch um, to be the best I can be as a, as a goalkeeper and as a person. And for me, it's just about keep working for Everton and um, hopefully that'll take care of itself come the Euros in the summer. Thanks very much. Thanks indeed. very much. Cheers. Carlo, another home defeat. What disappoints you most? The defeat... The fact that we didn't play bad, uh, good, the, the fact that we didn't start well the game, because we, we, we did a lot of mistakes at the beginning until the goal that we conceded, uh, a lot of mistake, no balance, no, no concentration. So it was, was not a good evening. Why was that? I, I don't know why. <laughs> it's difficult to say. I think we have to be more focused, more concentrated, to show more desire. Because the, the opportunity is still there, was there. It was an important uh, 
game to try to win, to stay in the fight. Now is we are we are still in the fight, but uh, will be more and more difficult. Yes. Once again, it's the home form. This season, this season is like this. It's difficult to say why. I think that was the same team that won against Arsenal what, seven days ago. We were in a good momentum, good form, and then another bad performance at home. Do you feel there's a, a missed opportunity this season? That had this home form been better, it really could have been top four. No, we could, of course we could, we, we could do better at home. This is for sure. But we, differently was uh, away. It, 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 it all unbelievable, unbelievable what we did uh, the run that we had away, unbelievable the run that we had uh, at home. I think that we have the point that we desire, we deserve to have. You're concerned with the number of chances you conceded so easily in that first half. Yeah, we were not, we were not good. We didn't have a good balance when we had the ball. Difficulties to find a, a good, solu good solution with the ball. A lot of mistakes. Completely different from the game that we had against Arsenal. Where does this uh, leave your season, Carlo? Well, the season is not finished yet. Missed five, five games. I think we have to keep fighting. Uh, we have important games still um, to fight for to try to reach our target. Carlo, thank you. Thank you. Tough interview for Carlo Ancelotti. <laughs> I think if you're Everton fans right now, I don't know. What do you think Everton fans are feeling when they were so excited yeah. nine months ago to this now? Yeah, we remember the start of the season back when I think we top four and we're saying, could they be up there? Could they win the title? And, and we're saying, in Carlo Ancelotti, we've got a really good manager who knows how to manage football clubs, get the best from players. I've got to say today, and, and we heard both the managers there, Dean Smith deserves a lot of credit because his team were better coached better organised and had a bigger threat. From Everton's point of view, it's clunky, Rebecca. They, 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 they kind of reshuffle the system a bit to try and get something going. It doesn't work. I know James Rodriguez came off in the warm-up. That doesn't help, but that's not an excuse. Everton at home, that's eight defeats now in, in home games. And there was no urgency. There was no drive. He, he talked about himself. The balance in the team was wrong. McGinn... And Louise, in the middle of the pot, dominated the, the Everton two, pushed their team forward, and Villa were far the better team. Should a manager of Carlo Ancelotti's calibre and pedigree be doing more, having been in the job for 18 months? I think so. Um, I, I think the team needs a shake. It needs a, it needs a shake, because they're not performing anywhere near that, that should be, given the players they've got. It kind of went from a top four chat. The manager, Carl Ancelotti, mm. said, well, you know what? We're not quite ready. We know the target. Everybody knows the target for Everton is the top six for European, potentially Europa League football. And where they're sat right now and the way that they're playing, it doesn't look likely. Big improvements needed for next season. And Carl Ancelotti, for, for whatever he's done, a lot of different kind of jobs where it's been a little higher in, in the, the league table that he's been at in different countries... This is a different job. And when you look at Everton, from everything you're saying there, it feels like the, the, the players, come on, this isn't good enough. This is not acceptable. And, and, and the Everton fans, I know they get frustrated. They, they, they should be seeing a more effort, more determination, mm. more desire from that's this team. Said. And this is the manager's job now. We've seen this for many weeks, Rebecca. This isn't just something that's... So it's like, come on, Ancelotti. We know that like, you're a great guy and a, a brilliant record. Show us what you got. Great. Show us a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, mate. The great contrast was, was uh, Thomas Tuchel with Chelsea today. He was driving those players before the game, we said, yeah. didn't he? He made sure those players were going to play against Fulham before a big game. Mm. Didn't quite see that in the Everton team today. So Tottenham win by four goals to nil. A lovely performance mm. from Spurs under Ryan Mason today. And that is the Tottenham. That is the style. That is the way that Tottenham fans want to see their side play. And of course, at times we had seen that under Jose Mourinho. Now do you think the pressure is... I mean, it's still on in a way because they are in touching distance, mm. but it feels like the pressure slightly off now Mourinho's gone. Certainly the, 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 the pressure in terms of game management. In-game management was what let him down. And scoring the goals and then being a little bit more cautious. And, of course, I know it's Sheffield United and, and they're not a great side. 
But I think we all enjoyed the team selection. I think we all enjoyed they scored the first goal. They try and get another one and another one and another one. And they let the talented players that we know have got great talent go out there and do their thing. You start scoring the second and the third. Mm. It doesn't matter if you make some mistakes defensively because they have done. And again, it's Sheffield United. So, so they weren't put under as much pressure. But the, the mentality and the attitude... We've got good attacking players in our squad. Let's use that as a benefit and not have this cautious approach. Look today, it just looks so much better to watch. It's interesting, coming into this weekend, my, my sort of notes, I was looking at Spurs and thinking, it's a difficult time for Spurs. No permanent manager. Ryan Mason, inexperienced, coming as, as holding the fort. But, you know, the talk that Harry Kane's come out this week and said about he wants to win team trophies, about his position. Gareth Bale, supposedly not happy. And I'm kind of thinking, this club's kind of lacking a little bit of leadership and maybe a bit of authority. Where are they going in, in these next five games? What we saw today was an encouragement for the attacking qualities of a Spurs team. A, a Spurs team that can, can defend, will defend, but are so much better on the front foot. And, and Jose Mourinho you know, had some good results and got, had some good moments with the Spurs team. But you just sense there's a little bit more joy in the play at the moment because players are off the reins a little bit. It's not about defensive first. It's about playing to their capabilities. Trust them, Rob. And, yeah, trust and, the attacking and, players and, and not worry about what they don't do defensively. We'll have a look in a second at the Gareth Bale hat-trick again, but it's easy to say this now he's just scored a hat-trick, but could you say it was negligent by Mourinho not playing him as much as he should have done? I think so. I remember sitting in this very seat and being disappointed. There was one game, can't remember which one it was, that he was dragged off. It seemed to be his kind of reason for it. I'm like, wow, what's he supposed to do? You've been in your own half defending. We wanted to see him play. You're never sure about his injuries and his, his fitness levels, but, I mean, the talent is undoubted. I suppose the counter-argument to that is, in a Jose Mourinho sign where he wants a wide place to do a different role, Gareth Bale doesn't fit. So, in a way, that's why he's not going to pick him. But if you're going to have Gareth Bale at your football club, if you're bringing him back and paying the kind of money they're saying, you've got to let him do his thing. And as we see today, when he does his thing, he's pretty good at it. Because, let's have a little look, shall we, at the hat-trick. Mm. You said, actually, while we were watching Gareth Bale, Robbie, mm. build your team around him. It's <laughs> well, Gareth Bale. It's effortless talent. It's incredible talent. I mean, like, from, from as Robbie described this earlier, just the awareness, the composure to look at the goalkeeper's position. We know his left foot is incredible. I mean, it's just this power that he provides from his left foot. And you can see Rob here again was, was all to see, and he's such a talented player. I think what we saw today as well, Rob, was more rotations in that front line than we've certainly seen under Mourinho. So we know that Harry Kane dropped drops deep, but this was another side mm. to his game that, that you particularly pointed out, and we said, he's getting back, he's doing his work, mm. this will be in the Mourinho team. And watch this kind of little appreciation between Ore and Bale. That's so, Gareth Bale will do all that attacking, and he'll do a bit of defending when he has to, mm. but he doesn't want to defend for 70% of the game and, and then just have one or two runs forward. Well, that will be also music to Wales fans, is mm. hearing that Gareth Bale's got a hat-trick ahead of Euro 2021, which is coming up this summer. Let's hear how the main man is thinking about it. Here's Gareth Bale. Gareth, well done. A win, a hat-trick for the team and for you personally. Is that a night that's gone very smoothly indeed? Yeah, no, definitely. It was um, a great performance uh, from the first first whistle. I felt like we were on the front foot. We, we pressed well. Um, yeah, and then got the ball, got control of it and, and played some good football. And uh, as for the hat-trick, yeah, always, always nice to, to get another ball. Remember your last Premier League hat-trick? Yeah, no, I do. Villa away a while ago. Bo so, um, Boxing Day, wasn't it? 2012? Uh, I think so, yeah. So it was a while ago. So, um, no, but nice to get, to get a hat-trick. But more importantly get the three points for the team and, um, yeah, we move on to the next one. And indebted tonight to Hyung Min Son, we'd probably expect that, but also Serge Orio, two assists. Yeah, I know, I know, he, he keeps... He's over there, he keeps going on about it. So <laughs> I said if he had three assists, he could have had the ball, but, um, no, it was a great performance by everyone, especially Serge, and, um, yeah, we're, we're happy with the three points. Very different types of goal, particularly the first one compared to the, the second and third? Yeah, no, of course, um... Yeah, obviously you have to take your chances when they come, so uh, I had a few tonight, but um, yeah, nice to get the three. How good are you feeling at the moment? I think that's 8-8 eight eight Premier League. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, Compared to peak Gareth Bale, then, which we know is a very, very good player, how far are you from that? Or aren't no, you? I, f I feel good. Um, yeah, I, I, as I said before, I just needed to play games, I needed to to just get a run of games and um, I'm kind of doing that now so um, yeah I'm, I'm happy um, and when I'm happy I normally play well and you've talked about it being more front foot football does that particularly affect you has your role changed at all been asked for different things by the manager no just the fact that we're more on the front foot we're, we're closer to the goal and, and you're able to score more so um, 
yeah, I think uh, we've been working on that now for the last few weeks. And um, yeah, it's obviously not going to happen overnight, but I feel like we're, we're taking a step in the right direction and, and we're playing the football the Tottenham way. Yeah. What's making you happier? Um, winning, I think. Winning always makes everyone happy, gives a winning mentality to the dressing room. And uh, yeah, that's all we can do. Really what we have to get into here, Robbie and Danny, mm. is what is next for Manchester United? Where does this movement, this protest go now? I think it's, it's a very difficult one because, you know, you, you talk about trust and I hear, I hear the word trust being mentioned and I'm not too sure whether there was actually any trust so how you get trust back that was never there is, is very difficult. I think there has to be action and I think there has to be communication. And, and at least then there, there's a line and where people can, can air their grievances and get answers. And I think, I think that's something that as owners of a club, I'm not saying you have to do that, but I think that that can help build bridges to a certain extent. If there's questions that, that, that need to be answered answer those questions and if those questions are then answered maybe there'll be a little bit of, bit of a better understanding but without communication and, and, and without action from you know, the, the owners I think it becomes very difficult. Robbie, communication mm. is often a healer in yeah. many situations yeah. and You're yes, right, yeah. it's been 16 years yeah, and there maybe. hasn't been enough no. communication. We can only think ourselves of pos yeah. possibly one interview yeah, that the Glazer family that. has I've done never, never, on MUTV, yeah. I think in the 16 years. So mm. clearly they would like more communication with yeah. the Glazers. Perhaps it could be a situation where Joel Glazer meets a couple of times a month mm. with a section of fans mm. every month in order to have that communication. Could that be feasible? Could that move this forward? Could, could we find some common ground, Rebecca? It was interesting, the Manchester United Sporters Trust sidelined and ignored a very strong words for a club as big as passionate as Manchester United that should resonate with, with the Glaciers and at the very basic sort of heart of, of, of this debate you've got one party the ownership who see this as an asset it, it's part of a fund it's part of a portfolio it's a business the other party the fans see this as the heart and soul of the community it's what they belong to it's who they are Rebecca and while those two two parties see it so differently that's where we've, we've got to try and find some common ground so both can kind of understand each other and both can work with each other. Now the, the, the problem is if, if the Glaziers sell, the worry is another billionaire comes in who still sees it as an asset and so I'm not sure you know, the Glazers, the way they bought it, the way they've run it, the lack of communication, the lack of visibility around the club are all things that need addressing but I'm not sure if the next owner comes in, is, is, that, is that much different? Well, that's really interesting because mm. we'll talk about the culture change, mm -hmm. just, or the difference, I should say, between the US and the UK, and just a tick which you just touched on there, yeah. and how people see a club differently. But you're right, they can't guarantee that if they do push the Glazers to sell, that they'll sell to somebody the fans want anyway, and they could be in a worse yeah. situation. Yeah, and, and, and that does become an issue, is who would be the new buyers. And one thing, and I've heard it on numerous occasions over the years, people say, well... Vote with your feet. Don't go to the games, mm. you know, and that, that will maybe make a difference because then you're talking about the, the financial side of things. Now, a long time ago, the, there was a group of Manchester United supporters that said, we're not, we're not going to go to the games anymore. They formed their own club, FC United. This was after the Glazers arrived. Correct? Yes, yes, sorry. After the Glazers, Glazers arrived, they decided they didn't like the direction the club was going in. So they broke away. They said, right, we're going to form our own team, FC United, and try and build that up to get it through the league. Now... Other people will be saying, well, what if 25, 30,000 Manchester United fans boycotted the games, didn't buy the merchandise? I'll tell you now that you've got 75, 76,000 in Old Trafford. If 30,000 boycott it and say we're not going again, there'll be 30,000 that will. I remember going with and watching a game in the big house in Michigan, 110,000, uh, a pre-season friendly between Manchester United and Real Madrid, and there was 110,000 people there. 80,000 of them were Manchester United fans. So they are a global club. So when you say to these supporters, well, just talk with your feet, don't go to the games because then that's going to hurt owners in the mm. pocket. There's 30,000 people waiting for tickets that will jump on those. And that's where it becomes very difficult of what you're going to do. Exactly. So mm. therefore, if they can't vote with their feet and they feel like they're not being listened to with protests... Mm. Are we going to see more protests? Are they going to ta be taken further than what we saw yesterday? Because ultimately, they want the Glazers to sell. And if mm -hmm. the Glazers don't want to sell, Danny, They're, there's no solution no. to the situation. And, and that's, that's the thing. And 
you know, watching the show yesterday, watching everything unfold, I was sat at home and I was thinking, what is the answer? Mm. There's no answer at the moment. And, and as much as people say, well, yes, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. You know, yesterday, the scenes that we saw, like I say, and I'll keep going back to it, the peaceful protests, absolutely fine, no problem. Of thousands outside the stadium. Everybody has a right to their voice and a right to their opinion because supporters feel as though it's their club. And I get that 100%. But you are overstepping the mark when you go into the stadium, when you break in and people will say, well, that's how we feel. That's how you feel, that's fair enough. I, I, I don't agree with that. I don't but, agree with those sentiments at all. But, Beck, you, you touched on a really important point, and I think it, it's something we, we should discuss, is that at the moment we've got the Glazers sitting here who we don't really know. We've seen one interview, very lack of visibility, don't know if they're good people, bad people, whatever. Man United Supporters Trust, the Glazers don't know anything about them either. They probably see some pictures and think they're all hooligans when they're not. They're people who, who love this club. But how, how do we somehow start to get those people together so at least they can start to find out a little bit about each other and start but, that lines of communication? Because the very reason they need to do that is the culture. So let's yeah. just let's put it mm. out there. English soccer and American sports yeah. are very, very different. Yeah. Over in this country, franchises, businesses, they're not even sometimes linked to the city because mm -hmm. they'll up and leave and go to another I mean, city that, and yeah, fans accept right, that. Yeah. And there's no judgment on that. That's just the difference yeah. between US sports and, and British football, yeah. English football. Yeah. In England, and as I'm sure many people watching know, but until I think you've lived there, you can't possibly be expected to understand yeah. how tied an English football club is to its village, its town, its city. It's part of the blood. We talked about this earlier on when we were getting ready for the show. Mm -hmm. There are many people in England who have football as their number one yeah. priority in their life. Yeah. And so when they feel like that's being taken away from them, mm. it causes what we yeah. saw yesterday. Absolutely. Now, here's the problem. Both sides need to be educated about the other mm -hmm. side. Right? So the yeah. Glazers need to understand that culture. Mm. Many will say they've been there 16 years. Why don't they already know that? And the fans need to understand where the Glazers have come from yeah. and understand that America is very different it when is. it comes to sport. It is. It, the, the, it, it's huge. It's history. You talk, about, you talk about a club like Manchester United. You go back to the beginning. You go back to it being Newton Heath. You go back to how it was founded. You go back to the Busby Babes. You know, I, I wasn't alive at the time. My father was, was obviously around. The Munich air disaster. So Matt Busby, what he did to become the first team to win the European Cup. It's history and what fans don't like because I, I grew up a Manchester United supporter, not just because I was born and that was me, a Manchester United supporter, because my father was a Manchester United supporter, because my brother was, because of my dad's dad, because all my family, they were Manchester United fans. That's how I was brought into it. And I, and I understood, I know so much history of that club but for the majority of it, I wasn't alive. And people take great pride in that. And what happens is then is that when you may have owners that come into the club that don't, that don't necessarily understand the history of the club, supporters take offence from that. You know, that's, that, mm. that's, that's how they see things. They're like, well, hang on a second. This is the culture of our club. We don't want it to be changed. We don't, we don't believe that it's the right thing to do because of all the history that's behind the club. And the one thing when you talk to supporters, and this isn't just Manchester United, this is all your supporters all around the country, they talk about history. They talk about where they come from. They talk about where they want to go. They talk about life experiences. The first game I went to, oh, I remember it. I was sat on my dad's knee. I was sat with my uncle. And that's what it goes back in. And it becomes a lifestyle for so many people in England. Mm. Rob? I, I, I totally agree. And, and the situation where, I mean, it would be unheard of, Rebecca, in the UK to change your club. I mean... It, it Let just alone move it to another move, city. Move it, yeah. Well, I mean, it happened with your club, Wimbledon, and, and that, and that, and that, and that will never happen never again, again in English football. But to, to think, nobody even think of moving. But you know, to change your club. Oh, I might. I, I was at Man United. I'll support Liverpool now because uh, mm. I mean, it just doesn't happen. And the the American culture is very different. And there's got to be an understanding of if you're going to buy a club in that country with that environment, with that history and that emotion. Get to know it. Mm. Get to understand it. Spend some time there. Be visible. Have people on the ground who are representing you. So if there is problems, the, the supporters group, the manager, people can talk to the owners and we can have a dialogue. So, Danny. Yes. Let's imagine you owned Manchester United. What would you do right now to oh. fix this problem? Give us your little four-point My... plan. <sighs> It's, it's a difficult one. First and foremost, I would be wanting to set up 
um, a meeting with the, with the key people that, that are to do with the Supporters' Trust. Speak about the, the way that I see things, because at the moment, the problem that we're having is there's so much assumption. There is so much assumption. They don't care about this. Mm. They don't care about this. And without answers, people are going to form their own opinion. Mm. So therefore, create an opportunity where people can speak and say, well, why are you doing this with the club? Why is this happening mm. with the club? Mm. And you know what? I'm not saying it's going to happen. It may mm. possibly not happen. But the answers that they give you may lead you to go, oh, didn't understand that. What are you going to do going forward? I go back to 2000, 2013. And when I talk about the structure of the club Manchester United, I don't just talk about the owners. I don't just talk about the playing staff and everything. 2013, everybody will remember Sir Alex Ferguson, the greatest manager that Manchester United have ever had, left the club. But people forget that same summer, David Gill left as well. And he was a huge part of that club. And the structure, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, it's who can follow Sir Alex Ferguson. It was always going to be difficult, whoever it was, but behind the scenes, the structure wasn't altered either. And I remember, I remember growing up, and I know social media does change things, but a lot of the times when you would see signings for Manchester United, you'd only know about it on the day. Now what was happening was so, so much stuff was getting in the newspaper about how they've tried to sign this player But, in. Danny, isn't that just the way that clubs change and evolve mm. and mm. fans have to understand it isn't 2013 no, anymore? It, and, it, and, and it is, it's a different mm. world now, Sir Alex Ferguson's left. Social media can't there, always stay the same. Well. It is. Sir Alex Ferguson's mm. left. And like I say, it's very difficult to, to, to replace a manager like him. But behind the scenes, there's been talk for so long. You know, you look at the majority of top clubs in Europe. What do they have? They have a director of football. Mm. And that's what I'm talking about, about, about the structure. It's, it's difficult, and I understand how difficult it would have been to take over from Sir Alex Ferguson, but what you then have to look is go, right, OK, what is the plan in place? What's the structure of the clubs that are having great success? And it's the director of football, and sometimes that director of football is embedded in the club, knows what the club stands for, a former player, someone that's been at the club for a long time, and I think that would help. I think, I think just, just going back, Dan, to, to mm. the, the point you made earlier and about that visibility, about that communication, yeah. even sometimes I think... If you ask a question and don't like the answer, it's better to get an answer you don't like than no answer at all. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes, just if we can, if some lines of communication can be bought. Now, I put myself as, what would I do if, if, if I was one of the Glazers? And, again, we don't know them, so it's really hard to kind of mm. second-guess what they might be thinking or, or how it affects. The first thing I say is, the football club's got my attention now. From ye yesterday, it's got, it's got my attention... Now, the second thing is, as a billionaire businessman and whatever, I'm a stubborn. I'm a digging my feet and saying, I ain't going to get bullied out of this football club because that's one way I could go. Or the other way I'm looking at it is, if I do see this as an asset, if I do see this as, as, a, as a revenue and profit things, and my revenues start to drop, the shareholdings, the share value starts to drop, hmm, that might make me think, hmm, I'll get out of this, I'll go into something else. But, and again, we're talking about a bigger picture, we've got to be careful that we, if the Glazers aren't the right people and somebody else comes in, we've got to be careful in English football that billionaire owners start to look at English football clubs and think, I'm not sure how, how much I'm, this, I'm going to make of this. We'll go somewhere else. And money starts to go out the game, Becca. Big ownership starts to go out the game. The big-time managers who are all in our country, the big-time players all in our country, start to go somewhere else as well. Indeed, and that comes back to the 50-plus-1 model that yeah. we see in yeah. Germany. And which, I mean, that in this economic climate, that ship has sailed. 50-plus-1 is not yeah. going to work in England. Even if it did, Manchester United would then probably sink through the leagues like many other clubs, and then there'd be anger at that. Is it, Danny, an unpopular truth mm -hmm. that the fans actually don't have any power? At not just Manchester United, but every club, because it's a family slash a, a group of businessmen yeah. who own the club. Yeah. It isn't the fans. Mm -hmm. It's unpopular, maybe, mm -hmm. to say this, but that's the truth, isn't it? It, it? it is. It is to a certain extent. And, you know, one of the things we were only saying 10, 12 days ago was that it's great to hear the fans having a voice because of what happened mm -hmm. with, you know, the, the, the six teams that tried to, to go away. And the fans had a huge say in that. And I think they were underestimated in that situation. What I would say is that fans will listen in certain, certain specific situations. And I go back to, I know I keep going back to it, but I go back to this, the six clubs that tried, to, that, that, that tried to, you know, break away. I go back to the game. We were here, the Chelsea, the Chelsea game. Um, against Brighton. Against Brighton. 
Before the game, who came out and spoke to the fans? Petr Cech, sure. an icon of the football club, knows what the football club means. The fans listened. Just last week, Manchester United fans went to Carrington to the training ground. They left peacefully. Why did they leave peacefully? Who did they speak to? Mm. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Mm. People that are iconic, that understand the club. And I just think fundamentally, when you look at clubs, mm. I feel that people who know the club, that know the fabric of the club, mm. if they speak up, if they're intertwined with behind the mm -hmm. scenes of the mm. club, you've got a better chance. Okay. Uh, well, I'd, I'd slightly disagree that the fans don't have the power back in. The Super League, I think, showed us yeah. the way that they can work. Think of football, what we've seen through the pandemic with no fans. Think of the Premier League, what, what it stands for, why it sells all over the world, why it's the best-watched league in the world. Because, yes, what's going on the pitch, but also the rivalries and, and the fans. And if, and if they... If you take them out, out of the equation... It's a very, very sterile, different game. And, and so they do have power. Now it's about using that power in the right way. And that comes back, I think, as we've now agreed, that communication yeah. has to be the, mm. the biggest key right now to move this it, forward. It does, and, and, and I, I, I completely echo what, what Robbie says. That the, the fans are a huge part, and if we didn't know before the pandemic, we know now, in my opinion, football mm. is soulless yeah. without the fans. And they have, they have to be listened to, first and foremost, mm. but there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way than the scenes that we saw yesterday because everybody wants football. Football is for the fans. Football is for the people. But we don't want to see that yesterday because what we should be talking... We should now be talking on this show about the game yesterday. We should be talking about the peaceful protests. But we're not. The front pages, the back pages, television, it's not, a, it's not about the majority it's a man minority that we're seeing, and that's not acceptable because that's not what we need to see. Well, it's also, as you say, the message that they wanted to get across mm. has completely lost. been yeah. lost because we are talking about all the things that yeah. went wrong, not yeah. the things that went right, and the message that they wanted to get across. If we take it that they're going down, how much construction is going to be less needed and more... Can they hold on to some of these players next, next season? I think... You know, Pereira is probably a player that you'd look at and think Premier League club will come in for him. I think the biggest thing is, is, is you know, when you do get relegated, can you keep a large majority of your players so you have a basis to build on? This team is predominantly with players that got promoted from the championship. I think the big talking point is the manager, what happens with him, because I think that mm -hmm. needs to be sorted out really quickly because mm -hmm. there'll be players that he doesn't want, there'll be players that he wants to bring in and it'll be different if another manager comes in. Do you think he'll fancy staying? And having a crack at trying to get them back up? I would love to say I would love to see him there, but I, I don't see it. I don't see it. Interesting. What do you I think? I do a little bit, and, and I agree with, with Danny. When you look through this squad, Rebecca, and I was, I was looking as, as we got towards the end of the game and you're thinking they're not going to win it, it's a championship squad. There's Pereira, who's a talent. Sam Johnson, I think some, one or two might have a look at him. The goalkeeper's been, been decent. Uh, Dean Garner's been a big miss. Grady Dean Garner got injured around the, the turn of the year. They've missed his ability on the ball to make things happen. But it's interesting. Would Sam... I'm not sure if Sam Allardyce gets another Premier League job now. Based off, you know, not keeping them up and the record going and, and the way that the game's moving with new forward-thinking coaches, maybe his best opportunity is to go down with the West Bromwich Albion, consolidate what they've got. We've seen on the good days, they go to Chelsea, win 5-2, we can get things right. There's enough there with a few additions to have a real good goal coming out of the Championship. Do you think he gets another Premier League job? I, I don't. I, I agree with. I agree with Robbie with, with, with what Robbie's saying. There's there's a lot of younger managers coming through now. So maybe his only option is to stay. Mm. If he wants to be a Premier mm. League manager, maybe he has to stay, trying to get them back up. Yeah, potentially. I just. I, I think obviously, given the opportunity, then it's it's a good fit because he knows the players now. But I, I just I can't see. It. I can't see him staying there can, if they get relegated. Can I throw a name in the hat? Please, you always like to. Frank Lampard to West Brom. West Bromwich Albion. You know. Go and learn your trade a little bit. Decent squad, been in the Premier League, have a little bit of money to add. And, and you know, bring a team into the, the league, show you can do that again, and maybe that's his step back up to, the, you know, one of the big six clubs. So Chelsea and West Ham are not the only two teams in the running for these top four places. You've got to say, obviously, Liverpool are still in it, Tottenham in it as well. But they're the two at the moment that are closest. Chelsea are in fourth, West Ham are in fifth. And I mentioned at the end of the game, Danny, their run-ins. I mean, that's pretty different. Chelsea with City, Arsenal, Leicester and then Villa. 
and West Ham with Everton, Brighton, West Brom and Southampton. So when you look at that, just for, just putting Tottenham and Liverpool to one side for a second, mm. because possession is, you know, whatever the phrase is, a lot of the rule, um, they've got a really good, realistic chance. They have, you know, and, and I think when you see the fixtures there, they do favour West Ham, but I think you've also got to take into consideration for Chelsea, Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, FA Cup final. FA Cup final. And, and amongst that, the, the fact of squad rotation from, from Chelsea's perspective. So you look at it and, and OK, Chelsea have the three-point um, gap at the moment and a better goal difference, but that can change very quickly. And I think if I'm West Ham, if I'm a West Ham supporter, I'm looking at that, I'm thinking got ourselves into a great position now to be able to take advantage of it. And they really do have a good opportunity now because I could see West Ham winning their last four games. Can't see Chelsea winning their, their, their last four games in the Premier League. That would be music to West Ham fans' ears. Absolutely. And it was, it was fascinating listening to Michael Antonio, who's entertainment all around. and so sad that he's talking about VAR stopped him celebrating. But it was interesting, I think it was Jamie Carragher said to him, you know, what David Moyes is bringing. And the first thing he said was work rate. And that's not necessarily been the top of the list for West Ham down the years. It's about, you know, those great skillful players and the technique and playing the West Ham way. But David Moyes is redefining the West Ham way. And it's, it's about consistency. It's about playing for your team. And then they've got individuals who can get them goals like Antonio, like Lingard. And you just look at the Premier League table right now, Rebecca, and they're sitting fifth. And I just looked at the four. Spurs, Liverpool, Everton and Arsenal. The, the size of their club, the money that they've spent... It would almost be an embarrassment for them if West Ham got there. And, and West Ham will deserve it based on the turnaround from where they were last season to even be in a, in, in a Champions League race right now. How surprised are you? Very surprised. I thought I, I liked him in Project Restart and I thought his development. I didn't realise he could get the consistency that he's got out of this team. You almost know what you're going to get from a West Ham team now. Win, lose or draw, and they've done much of those, but... This is, this, is, this is a real turn-on. This, this is as good as we've seen for, for a long time. Dan? Yeah, it, for, for me, it's how they've kept the pace. You know, at one stage of the season, you look and you think to yourself, well, they're doing really well here, but they're not going to be able to continue. So they're not going to be able to keep up the pace. That was, that was one of my biggest things. But I look at the team, and a lot of the, the teams that you just mentioned about being embarrassed, about being blown, they have standout players where you look and think, he's got to perform. West Ham have got a number of plays. They don't have to rely on us. And as Robbie said earlier on, Declan Rice has been out. They've dealt with that. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC Podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7am Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now.